0: good morning, everybody. My name is Rob Green, and I am one of the elders here at Covenant Church. And this morning, I have the great pleasure of continuing our series, Covenant 50, uh, celebrating 50 years of Covenant Church. Uh, And unity is what we're going to talk about this morning. So personally, I came to Covenant Church in actually August 2005, so almost exactly 16 years ago. But one of the coolest things about being at Covenant Church is that along the way, I've gotten to meet and talk to and hear stories from many of the founding members of the church from 50 years ago. These folks, 50 years ago, on BGSU's campus, grabbed by the Spirit, founded the Fellowship, right, as it was originally called. If you didn't know, now you do. Covenant was originally the Fellowship. They were filled by the Spirit. They were committed to Christ and each other. And to me, it's amazing that they're still here. Many of them committed to unity and fellowship for 50 years, right? And they've managed to do this somehow, some way. At least some of them have managed to stick around for 50 years, and it hasn't been perfect by any means. In fact, some of the seasons in this church have been absolutely terrible, and they'll tell you the stories about those. But they've been joined together by one spirit. They've been focused on one mission, and even though it's only been on the banner, I don't know, five, seven years, to make Jesus and make him known, was the idea from the beginning. They've been in one community, and this church in particular has always been known for its fellowship in the Spirit and its fellowship with each other. You see, I think what's happened here is the epitome of what we would see in long-term unity in Christ. It gives us this really sweet glimpse into what Christian fellowship was always meant to be. And that fellowship, as it was called, and that fellowship I experienced when I came that's the reason I stayed. I visited one church in BG and never left when I moved here. And I think that's the real reason that the founding members stayed and got together 50 years ago was that fellowship in the spirit and that fellowship with each other. Because this is a foundational truth of the Christian church that spirit-filled unity in Christ-centered community leads to continuity. And yes, I know, it might be a little too rhymy for a Sunday morning. <laughs> But if you remember nothing else today, you can remember unity, community, continuity. right? Or, put another way, as Gordon Fee would write, God is not simply saving diverse individuals and preparing them for heaven. Rather, he is creating a people for his name, among whom God can dwell and who in their life together will reproduce God's life and character in all its unity and diversity. So that quote comes from Fee's book, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. And in the same chapter, to open, he poses this really interesting scenario, which I think is even more relevant because of all we've been through over the last year and in the pandemic. He says, consider this scenario. someone sitting at home in front of their TV or computer. A sermon's preached, an invitation given, and the person accepts Christ as the Lord of their life. But the only church that they ever attend after that is that virtual church. The only body they ever see is on the screen. And Fee poses the question, are they really saved? Well, Fee, I know you're waiting. <laughs> Fee would agree, and as would I. They absolutely, hundred percent, are saved. But that salvation is nothing like the salvation and the experience of salvation that we see worked out in the Bible within a <clears throat> unified community of believers. As Fee puts it, and is according to Scripture as well, believers are to be members of each other, to build each other up, to care for one another, to love one another, to pursue one another's good, to bear with one another in love, to submit to one another, to consider others better than themselves, to be devoted to one another in love, and to live in harmony with one another. It's this really clear list of priorities that says God comes first, others come second. And it places ourselves last. So the question for us when talking about unity is, how do we experience this unified, spirit-filled community that puts Christ first, others second, and ourselves last? How do we live in Christian community in such a way that we hopefully get to run sermon series called Covenant 75 and Covenant 100, and my son Gavin gets to preach Covenant 125, and my daughter Peyton gets to preach Covenant 150, right? This is what I'm looking forward to. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we keep going on and on? So to do that, I want to look at two portions of Scripture today, both concerned with unity, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. So we're going to start with the Tower of Babel. So if you're welcome to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 11, uh, or the Scripture will be on the screen as well. So the story goes like this. At one time, the whole earth spoke the same language. It so happened that as they moved out of the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled down. They said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and fire them well. They used brick for stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches heaven. Let's make ourselves famous so we won't be scattered here and there across the earth. God came down to look over the city and the tower those people had built. God took one look and said, One people, one language. This is only the first step. No telling what they'll come up with next. They will stop at nothing. Come, we'll go down and garble their speech so they won't understand each other. Then God scattered them from there all over the world, and they had to quit building the city. That's how it came to be called Babel, because there God turned their language into Babel. From there, God scattered them all over the world. So, you know, what's really going on here? I don't know about you, I've read this story many, many times, and the first thing that comes to my mind is like, man, that's sweet, they were together, (laughs) like same language, all of humanity on one page, one mission, one direction, one goal, we're all going there and we're all in. That sounds awesome. I mean, compared today, and Kyle's been saying it for weeks, we're such a highly preferential culture. I think of all the differences and divisions that we have been arguing about for months and months. There's black lives and blue lives and white lives, masks and no masks, vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and no-vaxxers. There's Republicans and Democrats and socialists and libertarians. We break ourselves up into Fox News followers, CNN consulters, and MSNBC monitors. We have every way to split ourselves and divide ourselves up. So wouldn't it be nice if today, we were like the people at the Tower of the Babel, together, one direction, one mission. I don't know about you, I think a lot of us would be like, yeah, like, I'm in. Like, this is awesome. We're on the same page. We're going the same way. We have clear communication, going towards the same mission. We're on the same goal, all this. But, you know, I want to dig a little deeper, and I'm going to add some supposition, my own opinion here. Like, we know each other. We know what people are like. We know how the world works. And we also know some historical context, right? So all those amazing buildings of old that you remember, the pyramids of Egypt, all these things, I don't know if you know, um, but most of those weren't built with union labor. There weren't 15-minute breaks twice a day. You didn't get an an hour for lunch, an eight-hour workday, you know, two weeks vacation in year one followed by four weeks vacation in year two. This wasn't a thing. They decided to build, and what did they do? They conscripted people and resources. They came to your home, and they took you, and they took the things you had, and they took the things you owned, and they took the people you loved, and they said, guess what? We're all on the same page. Let's build Babel. All right? So my guess is that the people really unified under this scripture when they say it was probably the leadership. There was probably a class that had raised to the top or been put in charge or however that happened to be, that were unified among themselves in their mission and began forcing everyone and driving society and everybody that way. So, my guess is at the end of the day, Babel was probably not as unified as you think, other than their language, that they could communicate clearly and talk with each other. So, I'm guessing there's a lot of issues going on here, right? So, but still, we sort of have to ask, well, even if it was like this, why would God come down and garble their speech? Why make them babble and not be able to talk to each other? So, I took a look into some of the Jewish commentaries on Scripture, and we find a few explanations of things that might have been going on here. So the first suggestion is that at that time, folks, I don't know if you know this, they believed that underneath us, if you dug down through the ground, was water. And they also believed the sky and everything you saw up there was water. So there's a rabbi that's proposed that the people came together because they needed water, right? Water to drink, water for crops, water for all these things. So, they were building a giant tower in hopes that if they got high, when they got high enough, they could slice open the heavens and have water pouring down to them. So, that's supposition one, or the first scenario. The second one was you have to remember that this was after the flood. The flood, all of humanity, the earth, wiped away. Noah and his family walk out of the ark and repopulate the earth. According to the, the commentaries, they're guessing this is about 1,500, 1,600 years after this. And they're saying, hey, 1,600 years ago, there was a flood. I know we have this story about the flood, and God flooded the world, and there's this bow in the sky, but you know what? 1,600 years ago, I think we're about due. Let's build a tower so that we escape the next flood, because it's coming again, even though God said it wasn't. Let's build a tower to save ourselves and our family and our society, Right? Or the third option, which I think is the most obvious to everybody, is they were just people, and they were saying, we're awesome. Let's see what we can build. Let's see how high we can go. We're going to do this. It's about us. We are amazing. And the thing I do want to point out here is that even if that was, this was the most amazing feat of mankind to date, right, building the Tower of Babel. And I do want to remind you, if you look back at the scripture that I read, one of the key phrases in there is that, God came down to look at the tower. So at the height of all humanity to this point, God had to descend because it was so far below him, he didn't notice, is the inference, right? He had to come down because it was so far below him. So you have these three scenarios. Well, what's the key factor here? The commonality is that in any case, the people had removed God from the equation. They built the tower to survive on their own, get their own water, worship their own way, worship themselves. They were capable and proud, and they proudly forgot and defied the God of creation. They unified under their own goals, their own ways. They came together in pure defiance. They were on their own, and they were moving. But was this the kind of unity that lasts, that really lasts and spreads over generations? I don't think it was. Uh, To be honest with you, I think, you know, I've read this story many times, and I always ask, why? And I think at the end of the day, God did humanity a real favor here. Uh, Because I don't know about you, and, and maybe this is not the scenario that comes to your mind, but the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about human unity is a unified Nazi Germany. This is one of the most terrible periods in history, great atrocities. I'm also reminded that we had another side to that, right? We had the Allies, unified together against this evil. And it gives me hope because that's pure evidence of the image of God impressed on all of us, right? Banded together against evil, seeking good. But even there, there were lots of problems. They, weren't, they were unified, but not really, right? Who rebuilds? Who pays? Some people showed up late. Some people showed up early, right? There were lots of problems go, going on here. So no matter how you spin it, I think there's a simple truth that can be pulled from this, and that is that godless unity leads to divided community. Whenever the community exists, whatever it is, or the alliance, if it's not centered on God, it will be off track. Sin will creep in, pride will arise, jealousy shows up, arguments ensue. They turn into discussions and meetings and arguments, and then there's divisions, and it's divisive, and you end up splitting up. And at some point, we must recognize as individuals, we simply don't have it in us to hold ourselves together that long right it just doesn't happen so let's take this the tower of babel and let's contrast it against the new testament portion of scripture in pentecost so if you want to turn with me to acts 2 this will also be on the screen when the feast of pentecost came they were all together in one place without warning there was a sound like a strong wind gale force no one could tell where it came from it filled the whole building Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through the ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then, when they heard one after another their own mother tongues being spoken, they were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, Aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Midis, and Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others even joked they're drunk on cheap wine. But that day... About 3,000 took him, meaning Peter, at his word. They were baptized and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pulled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. Now you see, from a scriptural standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, in terms of theology, Pentecost is the great reversal of the Tower of Babel. In it, God reverses the confusion, the garbling of language, (coughs) reinstating his intended unity among his people. The two events bring a list of differences. God brought chaos at Babel, but the Spirit brought unity at Pentecost. The pride of Babel gave way to the humility and submission of Pentecost. Babel was a cacophony of languages. Pentecost was the piece of perfectly translated communication. Babel broke the people apart, and Pentecost brought the world back together. Where Babel was likely forced labor and conscription, Pentecost was voluntary submission. Where Babel created separation due to differences, Pentecost celebrated the unity of diversity in community. They experienced true un- spirit-filled unity and Christ-centered community. Because if you look back, I would say they did three things, and they did them really well. The first was they focused on the essentials. Right? This was all about Jesus. It was all about the Spirit. It was the essentials. Well, what do we know about essentials? Well, you can go read our website. We're fond of saying this around here that in essential beliefs, we have unity. In non essential beliefs, we have liberty. But in all our beliefs, we show charity. So, what are those essential things, those foundational beliefs that hold us together? We believe in the Trinity Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice, the power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Scripture. We believe in doing evangelism, in seeking discipleship. We believe that the Spirit empowers us to fulfill God's law and do God's work. And we believe that Christ will return. And these are all incredibly important. And I'll give you an example just among us as elders, right? All of us, without hesitation, will 100% tell you Christ will return. Something we believe with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then you can start asking questions. Well, Rob, is that pre-millennial or amillennial? Post-millennial, pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip? I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, right? We discuss these things. We can go deep and we have deep differences, but we have a unifying foundation in this essential truth that Christ will return. So the difference is okay because we're unified by the essential, right? So they focused on the essentials. The other thing they did was they celebrated the variety, Hopefully you now remember the list of names of different types of people and languages that were being spoken here, right? They were all over the place, and folks, this was a different time. They did not like each other most of the time, okay? So this was a thing. But it's the same here. We're a diverse group, and you can look around. We're young and old. We're rich and we're poor. We're black and white and U.S. and international and men and women and adults and children. And we love it because we get to celebrate all these differences that complement each other, that fill gaps. You know, typically when you talk about unity, everybody wants you to use the verses from Corinthians about the body of Christ. Now, 100% true. We're all a different part of the body. We all fill a different role, and it's not us in this community here. It's also the Christian church as a whole, right? So if you look at Covenant versus H2O versus Brookside versus Dayspring versus First United Methodist versus whatever church you want to pick in town, we fill different roles. We fill different gaps. We're different parts of the body of Christ. Uh, in fact, I would challenge you today, I'm guessing that most of you will have some kind of lunch after this, go home and spend some time with your friends and family on this topic. What part of the body of Christ am I? You'll have fun. It'll be a memorable conversation. Right? So they focused on the essentials, they celebrated the variety, and finally, and in a very real way, one of the most important parts is that they pursued the mission relentlessly. It's the same mission we have. It's the same mission they had to know Jesus and make him known. And if you ever hear or see or experience a different mission here at Covenant Church, then shame on us because we're not moving in the right way. But see, all this, you can focus on the essentials. You can celebrate the variety. You can pursue the mission relentlessly. But there's still a rub because we're still human, because we're still sinful, because we're still being made like Christ and are not yet like Christ. So we can skip just a few chapters ahead to Acts 6. During this time, as the disciples were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds, hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers, Hellenists toward the Hebrew-speaking believers because their widows were being discriminated against in the daily food lines. Because you see, even when we're filled with the Spirit, even when we are in Christ-centered community, we have to work hard. We have to rely on the Spirit in Christ to work us through difficulties and disagreements and problems and pains as it goes, right? And, And the New Testament, they solve this. This is where we get deacons in the New Testament. But this is a real challenge, And this is also where I want to take a moment to simply stop and thank God for what he's done here at Covenant over the last 50 years. I've heard the stories, and the road over this past year, 50 years, has not been easy. Saying it's not been easy is a vast understatement. You can ask anybody that's been around that long. There have been terrible times in this church. I've even had the great discomfort of living through some of them. Mistakes were made, people were hurt, There's divisions and arguments and changes. But what I've come to know is that here, 50 years later, God has still blessed this community and its mission. He has healed, and he is continuing to heal so many of the hurts. He continues to bring us together to call a people to himself for his name where he can dwell mightily in spirit. Thank God that he is good, and that he works all things for the good of those who love him, despite us and our shortcomings. Thank God that he has kept us in this community together. Why? Because at the end of the day, there's only one church in Bowling Green, and it's not covenant. It's Christ. As I said, we're all part of one body. We serve different purposes. We fill unique gaps, but we all complement each other. We're all on one mission, and we are all one church in one community. And Christ is the one keeping each individual church and the church together with that spirit-filled unity and Christ-centered community, and hopefully real long-lasting continuity. So what do you do with this? How do we continue to pursue and become and stay this unified, spirit-filled, Christ-centered community? I'm going to let Dietrich Bonhoeffer answer that. Uh, in his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer discusses five ministries to maintain such unity. I think they're pretty much common sense, but I think they're scriptural, and I think they're strong biblical reminders of how we ought to live in Christian community. So ministry number one, and I love these. They sound a little old because, you know, Bonhoeffer was a minute ago. Um, The first ministry is the ministry of holding one's tongue and listening. We all know that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. We need to listen to our community, to our friends, to our family, to other members in the church. Because it is okay to disagree. It is okay to have differences. What isn't okay is to not listen. Right? So quick to listen, slow to speak. But there's another piece to this. Let me be the first to remind you. There is no need for you to say every word that comes to your mind. We need to be thoughtful when we listen and when we speak, doing it in love. And we'll visit that in a minute in another ministry. So the ministry of holding one's tongue and listening. Two, the ministry of meekness, considering others better than yourselves. I'm always heartened when I hear the word meekness or humility, uh, because I've heard Kyle mention it so many times from stage. is a story of, hey, part of the reason I stayed and my family stayed and we came here, was because we sensed and felt the humility in the leadership and community. This is something that we do regularly, and particularly as Christians, right, as those who follow Christ. We should be deeply humbled because in ourselves we know that we are unable to get to God. We're unable to restore our relationship. We're unable to take the first step. Christ is the one that moves. He comes to us. We couldn't reach him. He comes down. We couldn't forgive ourselves. He forgives us. He brings us together. He accomplishes what we cannot. So there's something we can't do, and he has to do it for us. That's awesome, and that should remind us always to be humble and to be meek. But there is another side to this, and that's taking sober judgment of what we do and are capable of doing uh, you know, and, and all these kinds of things. There is a sense in where you can be too humble, deprecating everything you do. We all need to have a good sense of what we are and what we aren't good at. Or if you watch TV, what the most interesting man in the world would say, find that thing in life you're not good at and don't do that thing. <laughs> but we do. We have to take sober judgment of ourselves. We have to know that others are better than us at certain things, be willing to give up things, willing to take criticism and adjust. This is a challenge for me every day. It's something I always struggle with. It's hard to take criticism, to be humble, to consider others better than yourself. So the ministry of holding one's tongue and listening, ministry of meekness. The other is the ministry of helpfulness, number three. Why helpfulness? Because sacrificially serving each other is costly we need to serve each other. It costs us something. It costs us time. It costs us time with other people. But this is always one that just makes me really happy because I know from the the day that I showed up here, right, I was a grad student. So I had to move. A dozen people were going to show up at my house without, I think, me even mentioning it to anybody, right, because everybody's so kind. Perhaps the best example of this was Mark and Gemma Eberly taking me and my roommate into their house for one night a week every two years and giving up time with their family and money for extra food because they're feeding two college boys and hanging out with us. But this is something the Covenant's always done. I know that in this community, if someone needs anything, whatever it happens to be, help or fixing something or a car or money or a job or a friend or whatever, you're going to be overwhelmed. And that's the way it is around here. And that's the way it should be, which I think is awesome. The other part to this is also allowing ourselves to be interrupted interrupted by God. So not only do we have to help others, but part of that helpfulness is allowing space for the opportunity to help others. I'm not gonna dive too deeply into this, but the, the best story I can tell you is to go talk, corner him, find Ken Jenkins, say, hey Ken, I heard that one morning you woke up, put your shirt on backwards and had a leisurely breakfast at Bob Evans. Can you fill me in? It's a good story, but I'll leave it to him to tell. (laughs) Ministry of holding one's tongue and listening, the ministry of humility, the ministry of helpfulness. Number four, the ministry of bearing. As Bonhoeffer would put it, it is the fellowship of the cross to experience the burden of the other. To mourn with those who mourn, to grieve with those who grieve, to cry with those who cry. And not just once or through one message or one phone call, but to do it again and again, time and time, year after year. And I've seen that here, and it is sweet. And there's also the other part of it. Celebrate with those that celebrate. Have joy with those who have joy. And I've seen that here too, and that is just as sweet. But bearing together with one another in all things, whether bad or good, is amazing and it brings the community together. The final ministry is the ministry of proclaiming, being able to speak the truth and love to your community, your family, those outside, those inside, whoever it is. This one, I will be honest, is probably the hardest of all these ministries for me. I tend to be a little direct, a little East Coast. Um, I often, in the Midwest, when I first moved here at least, felt like an elephant in a glass house. But I will tell you something that I've learned that has changed my life. Truth really hurts. The Bible always tells us to speak the truth in love. And I think it's taken me almost 40 years to figure out why. Because no matter how you spin it, if you say it kindly, if you say it slowly, if you say it gently, if you say it peacefully, the truth is sharp. It can do real damage, but it can also correct. It can also build up, it can encourage and bring to life. So we always have to be soaked in Scripture and ready to speak thoughtfully when the time comes. And I can tell you, there absolutely is a time to speak. One of the best pieces of advice I've gotten in the last decade is the statement that silence is a scent. There is a time to speak up. You just must do it in a Christ-centered, loving way. So five ministry, holding one's tongue and listening, meekness, helpfulness, bearing, and proclaiming. Let's take these, and let's take the example of covenant over the last 50 years. Let's celebrate every success and every goodness of God while honestly learning from every mistake that's been made. Let's become that spirit-filled, unified, Christ-centered community as we close today with the words of Paul in Philippians. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning that we can all be together in the same room and unified to hear your message. I thank you for this community that has been unified over the last 50 years through thick and thin and good and bad and the hardest of times and the best of times. But now I pray for the future not just the church as it is now, but for the church at Covenant, the church of Bowling Green, for our children and our children's children, that you would saturate us and our community with the Spirit, that you would fix our eyes and center us on Christ, and that you would allow us to become a unified community where you dwell mightily in spirit and in presence. Father, we thank you for this day. Amen. Hi again just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect if you're ready to be known we'd love to know you and we hope you'll join us soon every sunday in person or online thanks for listening